I'm going to be interviewing Craig McCall. Craig, introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Craig McCall. Uh, I've known Paul for quite a while, and we go back more than a few years now. Currently, I'm forward deployed in Korea with the 3rd Armored Brigade Combat Team, 1st Cavalry Division. We're on a nine-month rotation here working with our Korean allies. Are you near the DMZ? We are uh, about 60 miles south of the DMZ. We do do training up near the DMZ. That's pretty cool. Have you ever seen the North Korean soldiers in person, like across the border or anything? Yes, yes. Was it when you were working or did you travel to see something on your off time? So this was during the off time. We took a, uh, you could say, field trip up to the, uh, the joint security area they have there at uh, Camp Boniface right along the DMZ. Whenever a U.S. representative or the president comes and visits Korea, that's typically one of the places they always visit. So, and that, Is that the place with that conference room where the border runs through the middle of the conference room? Yes. And yes, is that where place. the president shook the, the North Korean dude's hand? Yep. That's okay. exactly the That's what I was thinking of. I had a feeling that you might have just went there just to see it, and it might not have been when you were working. Well, that's pretty cool. We actually, so me and Craig actually go way back. I met him when I was four years old, and I moved to a new house in Pennsylvania where I still live. And uh, I was just I, riding, I still remember that day. I was riding my power wheels around and while we were moving in, and you were just outside trying to talk to me. And it was a good thing that you kept trying to talk to me because... I just kept going when he tried to say hi. Uh, yeah, I think you went, you went around at least three times. Yeah, I just kept going. and It was like a cul-de-sac that we lived in, and I just kept going in circles on my power wheels. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. And we used to play Army all the time. Remember, we used to have all the guns, and then I started getting all the airsoft guns, and I had built up like an arsenal of the airsoft guns, like the fully automatic battery-powered Uzis and everything. We used to go oh, into the yeah. woods. We went behind Frankenfield's house in those woods. Do you remember that? I do. We used to go sledding back there, where we used to get all the ticks, too. Yeah, those those woods, uh, looking back, they were they were seemed quite big, but now they're, they're, they're just nothing. a Yeah, it's nothing. And yeah, they seemed huge back then, like a jungle. And it was also somebody, when we started going back there... Remember there was like all those dirt jumps somebody had built like a little like a biking park for like tricks and stuff it was like just dirt ramps and jumps and everything Oh yeah yeah I don't know if I you never... remember that most of it washed away pretty quickly but there was the one big jump that was always like left in the middle of the woods there was like a giant dirt ramp Yeah it's I all gone now whole woods is not like it used to be the kids can't there's no paths or trails or anything through there anymore Oh, that's unfortunate. It used to be such a fun place to go and play. Yeah. There's like, there's the only thing that's left is right from behind house up to the shopping center. Everything else is just overgrown, I guess. Kids nowadays don't go exploring as much as they used to in the neighborhood. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of kids are they're still, you know, stuck in the electronics. and. Yeah, my kids do a lot of stuff that's not electronics, but at the same time, they're still not out just exploring the neighborhood. It almost feels like it's different. I mean, they were worried about, like, you know, kids getting grabbed and stuff because we're not that old. But we used to run a lot more rampant than what they consider responsible nowadays. Like, I was in elementary school and I was riding all over the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Nowadays, elementary school kids are, like, on a leash. 
and it does um, seem to be worse. I mean, it, maybe it has to do with in our area with it becoming overpopulated because the Lehigh Valley has grown so much. There's so many more people here now. Oh, I'm sure. I think it's gonna. Con- it's set to continue to grow. Yeah, it's going to turn into like a giant city in the valley, and it's just all the cities will be like little boroughs, basically. It's already a, me- a metropolitan area. I mean, it is, but it's going up. Like they're 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 starting to build vertically instead of horizontally. If you know what I mean. They're building new skyscrapers in Allentown. They just got approved. I saw in the newspaper like last week. They're putting up some real big monsters. That's going to be cool. I guess. I mean, Allentown's already pretty much like a a city. Like, you know, I mean, it was going in that direction anyway. They're kind of cramped. So I guess that's going to give them a lot more space, but it's also going to bring even more people in. While it might solve the problem, it's also just going to make the same problem bigger. They're just going to keep growing. It's mostly overflow from like the tri-state area and everything from New York City and Jersey. And I mean, you can't blame them because... where are they going? They don't want to live on top of each other. They got to move somewhere. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest issue there is the, uh, the infrastructure, the roads, and the traffic that just aren't made for yeah, all they, these people. They just delayed the, the the widening of Route 22, big time. They just diverted the money to a bunch of other projects that were supposed to be in the 22 project, and they just keep doing it. They built, they fixed the bridge, they like combined the Seventh Street exits, and they just. But what they needed the whole time was just more lanes. And none of that has helped the congestion at all. Yeah, it, we have that same problem down in Texas as well. But that's that's just going to delay traffic even further. I was back home in June, and it was considerably worse, even on the um, Freemansburg Avenue, where they now have you know up to four lanes in some areas. Well, dude, Linden Street, like 191, where it turns into Linden Street, it's it gets congested so bad now that like you're looking for like other ways to just get further down in the city because that that road which was never that i mean it was always a little busy but it was never backed up like at a standstill and it does that every day at rush hour almost every day it's just it's getting bad everywhere i can't wait to move i'm just gonna finish probably like another year or two at the house i'm at and then we're gonna look to get a mortgage somewhere either in western pa or if we can afford it even further away or not even i'm sorry not western pa like central western pa not all the way out near pittsburgh out in the in the country part of of pa where all the farms are and shit i just don't want neighbors i don't want any i want to be able to shoot my guns on my own property and not have to worry about anyone coming anyone calling I don't want my neighbors to be able to hear gunshots from my property. My kids can't even shoot their junior compound bow in our backyard here because even at my parents' yard, which is a half acre lot, we still can't. I mean, we'd have to do like a whole elaborate setup and technically the township could still come and shut us down. It's just it's crazy. I want to be able to have some fun. You know what I mean? I want my kids no, to, be able to play outside without me watching the whole time. I want us to be able to just let the dogs run loose, stuff like that. Well, there's plenty of land out in that area of Pennsylvania. Being in the Lehigh Valley, uh, I never got out much to that area, but it's kind of hard to believe it's the same state, but it is. I've only ever been out there when I was passing through, but it was definitely nice to just have it. I mean, even the highways, they were, the major ones were busy, but they had like more local routes and stuff that weren't busy at all because there was just... Other than the people passing through on the major ones, it was just dead. There was like Amish communities everywhere too. It's pretty cool. Pennsylvania is a beautiful state. I think kind of get the best of both worlds. I used to hate it so much, but I've really grown to appreciate it a lot. Uh, and they're doing a lot of new things too. So hopefully it keeps going in a good direction and they don't screw a lot of it up. Yeah, now that I 
brought up an interesting point because now that I look back, I remember being in high school thinking that what I had in terms of education, in terms of community, was the standard across America. You know, just traveling outside the state, I went to college in Tennessee. That is clearly not the case. Oh, dude, when I went to South Carolina every year for vacation, we used to drive. My dad would go this, he called it a shortcut, but I just think he was trying to show us like you don't see this at home and there were literally people that were living in shacks and they didn't have electricity and like their schools the 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 kids like all the buildings were dilapidated it looked like it was abandoned it was fully functioning but not to any first world standard at all and it's just it it was like it's mind-blowing and they're at the time they were like the 49th in the state and educate in the country in education can you imagine that 49th yeah that's that's way down there. I don't know who was 50th at the time. It was so, it was just so depressing. Like I've never seen such like conditions. Like it was really bad. And there was also like entire herds of deer. Like I've never seen before. Dozens of deer and groups just running through these neighborhoods of like trailers and shacks. And they weren't allowed to hunt them as much as they wanted. Can you imagine being hungry and poor and having food that you know how to hunt and it just runs through your yard and you can't do anything about it? And if they do it, you know, I mean, if they do it anyway, they have to be so careful. They get caught. They get fined. They can't afford that. And then they can't hunt at all. They lose their right to get tags and everything. Yeah, that's a that's a tough situation. You know, and but... they have an overpopulation problem with deer in a lot of places. I mean, I was just reading an interesting article the other day. I'll try and find it and send it to you about how they formulated the tag system for hunting they formulated it like every year they determine the amount of tags you know they do it for each animal based on their population and the conditions and all those different variables but for deer they actually one of the major factors is insurance claims for how many people have hit deer that's how they determine if they have a deer problem or not in areas and how many tags to give out that's That's a metric. yes if the amount of drivers doesn't go up but the claims goes up then they know to hand out more tags that's interesting. I mean, I never thought of that, but that's actually is a really good way. I just, I also never realized the amount, the many billions of dollars that are every year into just claims for deer. There's so many. It's there. It's crazy. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. Yeah, and they're a uh, they're a species that comes back pretty quickly once they don't have any predators or yeah. anything controlling their population. I mean, depends on the state, but like, especially in areas like California, you can't hunt mountain lions and they're becoming problems in certain areas. But back in the day, like in Pennsylvania, they hunted all the wolves. Like they basically eradicated the wolves in Pennsylvania. Just they hunted them out. It was like a great wolf hunt thing in okay. Pennsylvania. They said they had a problem with wolves. So they they just kept hunting them until they were gone. And they did it in a matter, like a very short period of time. And now they're back. They're started to come back. I mean, the amount of buffalo there used to be, they said that they were just, you know, wiped out from people hunting them. Yeah, I think um, at least in Wyoming, they're trying to restore some of those buffalo. I saw that. That's interesting that they have like new breeds and they're trying to restore some of the original breeds and stuff back to. I mean, that's that's a good idea. When the colonial settlers showed up, that's what really kicked it into high gear. But they actually have recently found that. The buffalo, as many as there were when we got here, when the white settlers got here, there was actually a lot more before the Indian tribes started to grow in size because the the Indian tribes had experienced a bit of a population boom before we showed up. 
and they relied entirely on the buffalo which when we showed up and took even more of them it screwed a lot of them over but we also they couldn't be nomadic anymore either eventually we controlled all the land and they couldn't just go where they wanted to follow the the herds but by then the herds were almost gone anyway it's just crazy and buffalo's really good meat i mean i can completely imagine being that excited about there just being buffalo everywhere and you know how delicious it is it's available to everyone the settlers being there they you know they were just trying to get a better life for themselves the individual ones a lot of them and they just wanted to eat the people who went on the oregon trail and went west were crazy like they literally had to be that desperate or crazy you were not likely to survive at least not you and your entire family somebody was going to bite it along the way yeah it was it was definitely a risk i guess it's kind of the similar everyone's fresh what's fresh in everyone's minds is the game oregon trail i'm Uh, actually looking for it for uh, my kids i'm trying to get it for them i'm gonna let them do it for like extra credit for school to play the game to the to the end in school because they're homeschooled so and we just did the Oregon Trail and all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I I think uh, they had that on um, some of the computers. We learned how to type. I've played it once or twice, but yeah, I remember playing it a lot. I can't remember if it was first grade. I have a feeling I might have started and played it in first grade. But yeah, man, that's like one of those memories from your generation that you'll always remember. That nobody else really has. That like the generations before us and right after us, they don't know about like Oregon Trail and Reading Rainbow. I think they've also they don't unfortunately they also don't know about Goldeneye on N sixty four. Yeah, well, no, I mean the gamers, the ones who actually like a lot of the younger gamers who know a lot about the modern games and systems. They're like, eventually, as they get older, if they stay in, that into gaming, they actually find out like about the history of games. Just like people know about Super Mario being the originator of a lot of things for games, they know that GoldenEye was the originator for modern-day shooters. Like Almost all gaming historians point to GoldenEye as what started it. And I think that that actually is pretty obvious because, I mean, when you think about us playing shooters... We didn't really play shooters. The old shooters were terrible. Those weren't the types of games we played until GoldenEye came out. Once GoldenEye came out, we were playing that nonstop. And then we started, remember I got GameCube and we were playing all the other 007 games that were coming out, like Nightfire, we played a lot. That one was actually really good too. And uh, also there was a game called Turok. Do you remember Turok? It was like a time traveler dinosaur game, a shooter. It wasn't quite as polished as the 007 games. There was like a lot of glitches and stuff, but it was a really amazing game for its time. It was. And just kind of looking back, I remember forgetting about, you know, GoldenEye and N64. And now that I think back to it, I, I hope they they eventually bring that back. I don't, I don't know if there's any discussion on that. They remade a GoldenEye game, but it was garbage compared to the old one. Wow. I, believe it or not, I would pay like good money for them to take the N64 version, put that on... I think they, well, I'm going to look it up real quick. I'm going to see, because my kids have Nintendo and they go on the Nintendo store and there are all the, a lot of the old popular games they can download right onto the new system and play for super cheap. Like the original Mario's, like just everything you could think of the Zelda games. I mean, people have done remakes, but nothing official. And that's the other thing nowadays. So many people are making their own games. Like, people are just, they take, like, you remember Unreal Tournament? We never played that. I mean, you might have, but it was, like, a really popular computer shooter game around the same time we were playing console shooter games. And that's when, like, online and multiplayer gaming first got started, really, 
was the, with things like Unreal. And um, they, there's the game engine for that. I guess it's really easy for up-and-coming game developers or do-it-yourself game developers to use the Unreal Engine to make like remakes of other games. And somebody was remaking the GoldenEye single-player campaign. So funny. We were playing that game together, and now you're like 60 miles from the DMZ with the only communists left. You are trading that. <laughs> hey, wait, don't give me any ideas. Might do something <laughs> stupid. I think the, the the most memorable part about GoldenEye was the uh, the effects of after you shot someone. You know, they would, yeah. they would make... You could turn the blood weird... off. Remember, yes. you could go in the settings and turn it off. Nowadays, they, they have all that. Like, I monitor everything on my kids. Like, for settings, yeah, I lock things like that. I wouldn't even probably let him play a game that bloody. Like, he wants to play Grand Theft Auto, but I don't let him play that because that's not good for an almost eight-year-old yeah i don't know just me grand theft auto and games of that nature i just i kind of lost interest they're fun fun, but when you're a kid when you're like you know and not like that little of a kid i mean it's i like we had it on the xbox because we have the gold pass and there's a whole bunch of really good games that you get for free they like feature them on the gold pass and I like I've been playing Fallout 4, which is a pretty cool game. And they had Grand Theft Auto 5, and I downloaded it, and I never played it. Oh yeah, I love how the game activists, like the ones against games, they were like when Grand Theft Auto was first out, like Grand Theft Auto 3, and even the older ones, even those they complained about. But they're like, people are going to be brainwashed, and they're going to do this, and they were going on for years that people were going to start doing what they're doing in the game. People were playing crazy games for a while, like. They used to say the same thing about Dungeons and Dragons, the ones that thought Dungeons and Dragons was going to make kids in the 80s become demonic and possessed and do drugs and have sex. And that didn't happen. Most of this, those kids went on to become like computer nerds. It's equivalent to saying that, you know, if a kid has two uh, homosexual parents, that they themselves will become homosexual. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think as if they're just being raised as a normal kid, having same-sex parents doesn't have any indication on your own. I think if you try to push a bias one way or another, I, I don't like it when straight parents give their kids a hard time. So I've known people who thought that they were either bisexual or gay when I was younger, and they told their parents, and it was terrible, they cried, it was awful, all this stuff, and then it turns out they weren't. They weren't. They were just hanging around a bunch of kids who were, and that's fine if they were. But this kid was just confused, which is what happens, you know, especially when you're that impressionable in a middle school. And because of that, he said, I might be this, even though he had never done anything. And then when the time came for him to actually do something with someone of the same sex, he quickly realized that he wasn't that. But he had already told people in his family. And at this point, you know what I mean? It just shows that you shouldn't react that way especially when people are young. You need to let kids figure shit out. You can't let them run rampant, but you can't punish them for being themselves or telling you how they feel. A lot of parents pressure kids into trying to be straight, and there's a lot of people who are gay and they're married with kids because they've been afraid to come out because of the way their parents treated them. That's not fair to the wife who wants a husband who actually is wanting her. People are hypocritical about all of those things, and they don't, they don't even really look at how it affects the life of the person who's telling them. As long as you're not making any extreme changes to anybody who hasn't developed yet completely, I don't think it's a problem to let them experiment with having ideas without being punished for them. Just be careful with who you tell what and who you open up to. Kids can be relentless. 
you know how it is, man. You could be miserable in school if kids are being cruel to you. And oh, no, I remember completely. I was never never that popular in middle school or high school and kind of dealt with some of that. I want to talk about you, but hearing about you and what you do is always what interests me the most. Why don't you tell me about what you're doing over there now? Because how many times have you been to Korea? This is your second time? Uh, yes, this is, my, this is my second time in South Korea. The first time I was stationed there, I was... Well, I was, in fact, stationed there. This time around, I'm more or less on a rotation with a unit from Fort Hood, Texas. What are you doing there? Is it the same thing you were doing last time? When I was there the first time, I was focused on chemical defense, decontamination, and uh, protective measures. And in the event, uh, conflict started with North Korea and they employed chemical weapons. I was part of a unit that would go out, detect, identify those chemical weapons, and then decontaminate or clean off maneuver forces that have come in contact with those agents. That's what I thought you were doing. Is that what you're doing? That? Yeah. You said you're doing the same thing this time, or is it different? So this is different. This time I'm part of a armored brigade combat team, and I'm serving on staff as the, uh, the chemical officer, essentially overseeing chemical defense for this unit while they're over here. Are you the only one for chemical defense for that unit? I'm the only one at my level. So at my level, I kind of oversee several units consisting of uh, 3,900 people. Um, and then there's, there's other chemical officers at lower echelons, say at the battalion level that I work with and coordinate training with as well. It's, it's been a really great experience here getting to, to train with our Republic of Korean Army allies and getting to work with the units that are actually stationed here. How different is the demeanor of the American troops compared to the South Korean in terms of like, you guys are there on another rotation, I guess it's considered a deployment, right? Because we're still technically at war. Well, it's it's considered a operational deployment um, and we technically are still at war, but... But you're training all the time. There's always military drills. Does it seem like the, the Korean guys, do they seem like they're almost more expecting it to happen, like something to start? We're just here doing our job. We're not expecting it to happen at really anytime soon, especially with... That's the same uh, for them, for the Korean guys, or do they seem a little bit more on guard for that? Like a little bit more expecting it, so to say. We're, we're at the same level um, in, in the fact that, you know, we train hard and we, uh, we get some great training in. However, um, there's just never been a situation where, at least while I was here, yeah, I've read about the crazy shit that the North Koreans have done since the war technically ended, like the commandos they sent in and all kinds of stuff. I forget the details, but I know there's just been a lot of crazy incidents that they've tried. I guess you could just call it their normal type of whacked out Korean, North Korean communist yeah, shenanigans. Yeah, it's considered like, more or less the status quo that we we deal with while we're over here. It's generally, we... I hear about it on CNN before I hear about it. Were you there the first time while there was a lot of the, remember when there was like that buildup of tension where they kept firing missiles and then at one point they were like firing them over Japan? Possibly. I was there for, from 2013 to 2014. The one I'm talking about was more recently. So I guess your first deployment was longer ago. Wow, man, time has yeah. really flown by. It has. That was, um, 
I left Korea over five years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. I really, wow. Yeah, I mean, same thing with my kids. I can't believe I've got teenagers. <laughs> that's, oh, I can't believe that it was that long ago. So yeah, that's before what I was talking about. Because then I was going to ask you if you were there during that more recent one, like how how was the everything then, like the tension or whatever with the uh, the troops there and the South Korean troops, but you weren't there then, so. So how long do you have left there? I personally have about two months left. I expect to be home at mid-February, back at Fort Hood, Texas. When do you think you'll be back on my way again? Um, that's hard to say at, the, at this time. I, I may transfer jobs right when I get back and then might be delayed from taking leave. Um, yeah. So it could be as late as Christmas. It could be earlier next Christmas. We're We're really looking into... Renting an RV, taking a month. I'm just going to work from the RV while we're on the trip. And we're going to get head west initially, pass through Pittsburgh. I mean, we're going to we're going to see, like, I want to see Mount Rushmore along the way. And I want to stay a few nights in Colorado, a few nights in California, and then go south through the Grand Canyon and through Texas and then head home. So I will definitely, if that happens, uh, unless something unforeseen happens, like, I'll definitely taking some sort of trip whether it's in the rv or even if it's just me and keisha going ourselves. but i don't know if that would happen yet i think the rv thing will happen and i definitely want to come see you then if we go through texas yeah texas is a beautiful state and i'm right near the capital so that's a, that's a great place to stop and visit yeah there's plenty of um campgrounds around austin if you ever visit austin what you'll notice is it's a, it's a great mix of city as well as natural area. There's a bunch of state parks just all up in and around that area. I've heard so many good things about Texas. I just I'm I have a feeling that I'll like Texas more than Colorado, but I just really am just I want to see Colorado already. That's the one state I've always wanted to go see, mostly for the natural reasons like the mountains and everything else. And I just I don't know, I've always been drawn to it. I want to go. California used to be a place I really wanted to go to, and I still want to see the West Coast and everything and see California, but I don't want to spend too much time there, you know. Yeah, that is that is quite a road trip. Route 66, what's interesting is uh, you could take Route 66, just go up to Chicago. You ever? I want to. Yeah, I really wanted to do Route 66. The kids are obsessed with the Cars movie, and I'd always known about it, but I had looked into it more in detail after that. And it seems awesome. I want to see it while there's still parts of it left to see. Oh, yeah, definitely. So much of the country I want to see. And I've seen a decent amount of it. And I've been out of the country once. But I, I really want to travel more. You know, I yeah, tried to go back into the Army. I don't know if I ever told you this. I tried to go back in two years after I was out. And they wouldn't take me in because of my lung. Yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, a mistake a lot of people make is that they... They end up going these combat MOSs, and then they want to do 20 years. I didn't want to do 20 years. I wanted to just do a combat MOS for four to eight years at the very most and then be done. So I didn't want infantry either, and I was even willing to take things that weren't a combat MOS. And then after the Army, it brought back my childhood asthma real bad. Well, I think what first triggered it was the pneumonia that I got when I was in the Army. I got the pneumonia, and when I got out, I was smoking more than I should have, and my asthma just apparently had come back you know that's probably for the best anyway you know i should have not been a dumb 18 year old originally and listened to the recruiters about lying yeah but 
nonetheless, it was a valuable experience, right? Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun. That's where I fell in love with firearms. I mean, I'd always loved guns, but I'd never fired a real one before that. I fell in love with that, and it also is what got me into, like, I mean, I always loved history, but I hated, like, current events and politics, and that's what started getting me down the road to getting more involved with things, and I actually, that's how I ended up falling back in love with being American and becoming patriotic, and I just started trying to appreciate life a lot more after all that. I mean, I was really sick when I was in the Army. I think it was at the end of the seventh week of basic. I started to get really sick, and I ended up in a hospital bed. And, like, there was water in my lungs. Because, you know, in basic, you just keep pushing yourself. You feel stuff. You don't want to go on sick call. You don't want to miss. You don't want to have to get recycled. So you push through every injury, every cold, everything. And I just was pushing for too long. And I didn't. I was hiding my asthma because the recruiters convinced me I had to because they didn't want to do paperwork. They told me I wouldn't be able to get any of the jobs I wanted if I didn't cover up my asthma. And I should have known that was wrong. But I was 18. And, you know, I just wasn't completely matured yet. And I was still a kid, basically. Even though I had kids, I wasn't really totally matured. And I should have known better. Like, I would never lie now for an oath to my country or God. But that's what I felt like. If I, I, That's part of the reason I left, too. Because I just felt dirty from the way that it all had happened and then how it came out when I got sick. And pneumonia, it was, it was like a wake-up call. It was almost like karma. Like, I shouldn't have hid the asthma. They convinced me I couldn't get the job, but the truth was I just needed to get a medical clearance. And I could have gotten one easily because it was childhood asthma that I had outgrown. And it's the only thing I ever didn't like about the Army. I loved everything and everyone, every part of it, even the parts people hated. The only thing I didn't like was the recruiters. I saw them covering up other guys' dirty urines to get in, all kinds of stuff. And that's that's unethical, honestly. Oh, it is, and you know the re- they have a certain quota they have to make, and bro, well, I understand. In that game, they care more about the numbers than the quality. Yeah, well, I just it bothered me a lot. What I really figured out too, my biggest regret wasn't even the way it happened with the army. It was not having just stuck with you know doing the right thing in high school and just finishing high school well and going straight to college instead of the army. I could have done it the way you did. I could have went in that way, but I was never patient. So how about you, man? Do you have a girlfriend? Anything that you're willing to talk about on here? I did have a girlfriend while I was over here. Escalated rather quickly. It was interesting. Um, I have two friends, two Korean friends who are stationed here in the U.S. Army. Um, And as soon as I got here, one of them introduced me to one of his fiancés sisters friends so so it was a korean girl it was a korean girl yeah we dated for about four months that's cool and that's awesome uh, it was moving very quickly but um and i thought it was going well however i was uh working in an exercise where i wasn't able to text too often and uh she took that as that i was ignoring her and uh well it just kind of went downhill from there yeah that's the one thing I always liked about you. A lot of guys are in a relationship, and then when a girl acts a certain way, they, you know, they justify it somehow. Somebody who is like superly possessive or jealous or something, and they'll just look. If you're not going to be respectful and trusting, then we have nothing to build on. If a girl can't trust you with your job, then that's not a good thing. Well, I learned it the hard way. I mean, that was a four-year mistake. <laughs> yeah, that 
the hard way with my first girlfriend. Well, yeah, that you started late though, so that's not that you know. Don't beat yourself up over it because you were so busy with getting your life going and doing good that you weren't doing a lot of dating. And then when you finally had time for it, it was you were in a situation where it was easy to, you know, this guy who hadn't really dated much and he was like so successful and everything. You had to be careful with girls at that point. And there's girls who I'm not going to say what they were called, at least not with the enlisted guys. Sure, you know, anyway, but the girls who just like literally like only want to get with soldiers, they just go around on, you know, base towns and stuff trying to sleep with soldiers all the time and they'll just chase the uniform. Yeah, well, you've got that plus the fact that you're an officer, plus the fact that you're a really smart dude. I mean, and then the fact that you didn't date much or anything. So, I mean, girls love that. I will say that it took me, well, uh, I won't say I'm blaming her for it, but oh, no. it took me about like a good few months or, you know, I'd say upwards to a year to fully realize that, you know, she she played me quite well in the sense that made me believe that I could not find uh, anyone better and uh, that, you know, I was doing this or that wrong when in fact I wasn't. And at that point, like, who did, who, who did I know? I mean, I didn't relationship prior to that. So it took me some time to kind of learn what was really going on. Wow. Yeah. So if there are anything else that you want to cover. Let's see. I think we already covered the army piece pretty well. Um, yeah. We covered our history. Yeah, we can cover more on that. I mean, you're a good guest to have because we've got a good chemistry and I think people would like to hear about, you know, our history or whatever. They, people with podcasts, once they follow a podcast, they'll go back and listen to the original episodes, especially for certain guests. They'll want to hear their old interviews and stuff. And that's kind of following I'm hoping to achieve. I'm sort of emulating like uh, the Joe Rogan experience in a, a little bit, but not completely. I'm going to do some other things as well. But the interview parts, have you ever listened to the Joe Rogan experience? Yeah, I listen to one or two of his podcasts. He just hangs around with people and talks about stuff. You know, it's he doesn't really do interviews per se. They just chat about whatever either the person's doing or whatever comes up. But his are usually like usually like two and a half, three hours long. But he doesn't edit them at all. He just has a studio and he just hangs out in there and records. He never does remote either, but I can't be picky. And especially when it's somebody who's a soldier overseas, I'll take a remote interview any day. But the next time you're up here, I'll probably have a shitload of episodes out. And then I'll have you on in person. Yeah, right, I, think, um, I think maybe we could do this again just before I leave. Kind of like a recap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and then by the time you come back, I think that I'd like to actually get into some other stuff that might get a little bit, a little bit more heated, like maybe a little bit more, you know, discussions about whatever religion, politics, you know, the types of things that we usually talk about when we hang out without recording it. No, I agree. I think that's a good plan. So this is a really good start and thank you for coming on. I don't think you have anything that you want to promote on here. You don't have any websites or books you're writing or anything like that, right? No, no, not this time. Okay, well, that's cool, man. You're doing a lot. I'm sure you're very busy. And, you know, I appreciate that you're in the service, too, honestly. Uh, having good people serving is that means a lot to me, and I, I do thank you for your service. No, I appreciate it, man. Um, I definitely appreciate you having me on here. Uh, if you asked me 10 years ago if I ever thought we'd be uh, doing a podcast together, I probably would have said you're crazy, but this is, uh, this yeah. is excellent. I really yeah. appreciate it. 
this opportunity. Well, no problem, man. Thanks for coming on. I'll reach out to you soon, okay? Sounds good, Paul. We'll talk soon. All right. Later, bro. Later. Are you interested in starting your own podcast but have no idea what to do? Maybe you already have the equipment you think you'll need, but don't have the time or resources to produce the podcast yourself. Whether you're in the market for a producer to take over an existing show or you want to start a whole new podcast, PRM Podcast Productions is for you. We do everything from helping you get your show started to editing, producing, uploading, managing, promoting, and much more. We offer various plans and levels of editing, as well as many additional options to choose from. We also offer voiceover and transcription services and can supply male, female, or kids voices for ads, promos, intros, outros, and more. If you want to know more or see our other shows we've produced, go to prmpodcastproductions.com or click on the link in the show notes. Anyone referred to us from Zach's Corner Podcast or from Finisher's MMA will receive a 10% discount. This podcast is also brought to you guys by shopfinishers.com. That's pretty much where you can get all of our gear. You can get our Cruise Combat Custom Rash Guards, the red one, Fire Red, the North Carolina Blue. Or you can get the OD Green. We're about to drop some new shirts. That's your home for Finisher TV stuff. You can actually buy tickets on there to the Finishers 10. If you want, you can get I'm going to be releasing a bucket hat real soon. But we got some top designers, M85 Designs, Mike Mons. We got Shark Face Apparel. My boy Bryce throwing their stuff up. You can get 10P Allentown stuff. You can get 10P Miami stuff. You can get stickers. You can get 10P Miami flip-flops. We're going to be selling everything. So always check out shopfinishers.com. And uh, that has all your needs. You can link to it from our website too. If you go to finishersmma.com, you can just click on shop right there and get all the swag that you need. So shopfinishers.com. It's your boy.